trouble with the sound man. It says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the sinful. So right here we have a verse that you know people can use as an excuse to just mark everyone who disagrees with them on anything. But is this a verse where we just use to just mark anybody that we disagree with? If I was going to preach a sermon tonight, I could call it something like Bill Smith Exposed. And, you know, thanks to social media, that would get a lot more attention, uh, you know, than a normal message because people love watching somebody get marked, you know. But there is a time and place for someone to get marked. And typically, you know, it's when someone comes in among us and is teaching things contrary, you know. And so now with the television, with the internet, it's a lot easier for false prophets to just come in and stir things up in the church without even physically being here. And so because those type of things too have to be dealt with in a public way, it just makes it where it seems like there's this constant drama, constant marking going on all the time. And some of it is 100% necessary. Some of it is 100% not necessary. And knowing when and when not to do these things, it can be difficult. We're not talking so much about marking, but um, when you live in a world and if you're, when you're used to seeing that kind of thing happen all the time, we can get on real high alert to where we're always just kind of wanting to mark everybody. And, and if you're anxious to mark somebody, you got verses that can give you an excuse to do this. Now, I don't think we have a problem with this in our church. I don't think we do. Uh, I hope we don't. But I want to preach these messages, too. I'm probably going to spend maybe three weeks kind of doing this type of thing. Because I guess I want to reestablish some things. Because this is something I actually talked about probably six or seven years ago. Many of you weren't here when we did this. But I, I, I specifically dealt with some of this whenever we first changed on eschatology. And one of the things that I got up and I told everybody in the church is I said, you know what? We are going to continue to fellowship with people that are different than us on this because just like we weren't terrible people a year ago these people still aren't terrible people today and we're going to fellowship with people who are not exactly like us on a lot of things and if somebody comes into this church and they say something a little pre-triberish we're not going to freak out and and we had somebody that came in not long after that and they said something pre-triberish and you know what? Our church didn't split over it. We didn't get freaked. And you know what? They were a huge blessing while they were here. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't hurt us one bit. And you know what? I, I feel the exact same way today. I, I do. I believe very much that there is a time and a place to mark. I believe there is a time and place to break fellowship because of doctrinal things. But just because there is a time and place to do it doesn't mean we should do it all the time. And I do think you know, there, you know, we do need to have some lines. We need to draw some lines. And so I guess the title of the series is Drawing Lines for Ecclesiastical Separation. And what I want to use to kind of illustrate this tonight is uh, we're specifically looking at the doctrine of repentance. Because where do you draw the line on that? Just how wrong can somebody be, Pastor Tommy, before you'll break fellowship? How wrong do they have to be before you'll throw them in hell? And let me tell you, there's some lines. <laughs> there are lines that they can cross. You know, and, and what are those? And so we're going to kind of we're going to kind of draw some lines tonight on this. But I, I I'm doing this too, not so we can I can give you a list of people that you can go nail. All right, 
I'm doing this more so people aren't freaked out and don't know what to do if somebody comes in here and they're not clones of us. Because um, I'm not looking for Liberty Baptist Church clones. That's not what I'm looking for. Uh, that's not what I'm not interested in that kind of thing. And so I but I do think we need to have some, uh, you know, wisdom and discernment when it comes to uh, applying things like when it comes to marking, separating from people. And, you know, we talked last week about how Jesus, you know, he wanted he wanted them to show judgment and mercy. And we're going to find ourselves in many situations like that in life where we've got to have judgment, but we've also got to have mercy, too. And I think God did it this way on purpose, where it's not always as clear-cut as we'd like it to be. And I think he did it this way because of the fact he wants us dependent on him. We're supposed to be following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to do that every day. We're supposed to always be following his lead. And I also don't believe that even as a church, God wants us completely isolating ourselves. We do see the Apostle Paul often making reference to other brothers and other churches and referring to other churches. We see that kind of thing. We see them working together sometimes to take up a collection for the saints. He worked with other churches and things. People from other churches often funded the work that the Apostle Paul did so he could go start churches in other places. And so while we are an independent church, it's not wrong for us to work with other churches sometimes too. And I want to work with other churches. I want to work with other churches in this state. I want to fellowship with them. I want to go to their meetings. I'm hoping to do some soul winning things with other churches in this area. Why? Because I want to be a blessing to them. I want to encourage them. I think it strengthens all of us when we do this. And I just don't want our church to become a bunch of inbred freaks. I think we need, you know, a little variety of people and preachers and personalities. I just think that's healthy. And so um, I want to hopefully through these messages just kind of, you know, show you my thinking on this and guess what all right i hate to freak everybody out but you don't have to think exactly the way i do on some of this stuff you don't have to feel exactly the way i do about some of the preachers that i have come through here or that i fellowship with you really don't have to do that now i do think it's important that you follow the, you know that you support the leadership in the church, even if you don't always 100% agree, you know, supporting leadership, uniting behind that, I, I believe is good and it, it's a healthy thing. But I don't believe God wants us just totally isolating ourselves as Christians from the world and especially from other Christians. We see in John 17, verse 14, when Jesus is praying, he said, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. So God wants us among the world because he wants us to be an influence in the world. Okay. Now, for sake of argument tonight, let's just say we're as awesome as we think we are. We're as right as we think we are. We're better than everybody else. Do you really think that God wants us just, if we are everything that we think we are, okay, and tonight for sake of argument, we are. We are that good. Okay. Do, do we think God wants us isolating ourselves from all our ch other churches? Or do we think he wants us being a good influence on other churches? Okay. So listen, if we're as great as, we, as you all think we are, we should be fellowshipping with other people. So we can rub off on them, right? 
And you know what? I hate to admit it, but maybe sometimes we need some of them to rub off on us too. I, I, I believe that. But until Jesus comes back, we are going to have to figure out how to live and operate in a world where not everyone agrees with us and falls in line with us in whatever we try to tell them to do. We also need to get a hold of the fact that not everyone who disagrees with us is an unsaved reprobate. We don't need to do that. As a church, we're going to find ourselves in situations, though, and times when there are doctrinal disputes, when controversies arise, and we're going to have to draw some lines and tell people, you know, you step over this line, you know, we're going to have to separate. And so when this kind of thing happens, unfortunately, there's a lot of stupidity that often comes with it. And so hopefully over these next few weeks, as we take a few different subjects, um, you know, where this kind of thing often happens, I just want to show how I draw the lines when it comes to ecclesiastical separation. All right? And if you're not familiar with that term ecclesiastical separation, typically what that comes from is like if you're a part of a denomination and you decide to break away from that because of some kind of disagreement. We use that term, though, even as amongst independent churches when it comes to like what churches we'll fellowship with and which ones we won't. Because you know what? There are some churches we won't fellowship with. You know, if they're worshiping Mary... We're not fellowshipping with them. Okay? If they have a woman pastor, we're not fellowshipping with them. It, that's all there is to it. Now, some people get really bent out of shape about that. Some of the trendies, they get really mad because I don't want to fellowship with people who use another Bible. You know what? We can draw our lines wherever we want. We, we have the authority to do that as a church. We don't have to fellowship with everyone. And there's a bunch of different reasons. And, and people are going to have different rules on this stuff. I hope nobody thinks this... My, my crazy chart I'm going to make up here tonight is going to be like a blueprint that all churches should follow. Okay? Now, because this, this blueprint I'm going to come up with is probably going to be pretty confusing looking. All right? That's not on purpose. Part of it is that I don't know how to draw very good. Okay? But at the same time, you know, I, I hope it will it'll give you the spirit of everything. So tonight we're going to – I want to illustrate this – Using the subject of repentance specifically, because when it comes to the subject of repentance, and, and you could apply this to many other doctrines, it's important that you understand that any doctrinal category that we put someone in, because we got names for everybody, right? we got categories for everybody. And we're going to be making categories tonight and putting people in it. Okay? We need to understand, though, that whoever we put in that category, they probably never officially signed on to that category, and they might not even claim to fit that category. That's just what we see them as and where we put them, okay? But we do put them in a box. And so for sake of argument tonight, we're going to assume that we label everybody correctly too, okay? We've got to assume several things tonight, that we are the greatest and that, the, you know, that there's nothing wrong with us and everything we say about other people is correct, okay? We've got, we've got to just for the sake of argument tonight. So I think we all understand when it comes to the subject of repentance, there are many different positions out there and again, we're right, everyone else is wrong. But what are we going to do about those people that are wrong? What are we going to do about those people that don't get these things exactly right? Are we going to fellowship with people who are different on repentance? Or, and, ju- and if we are, just how different are we going to allow them to be? And are they even saved? Are they even saved if they're different? So let's draw some lines tonight. So, I got this here on the other side I want to start off with. And hopefully everybody can read this. And again, pardon my handwriting. But 
Notice we have here in the center repentance. Okay, right here repentance that represents true Bible doctrine when it comes to repentance for salvation. All right, that's where we want to be. We always want to be right in the center. Okay, we want to be center. We're not supposed to turn to the right hand or to the left hand as Christians. We want to stay right down the middle of the road doctrinally. So this is the doctrine of repentance as the Bible teaches it and as Liberty Baptist Church, because again, we get it right. Everyone else gets it a little bit wrong. All right. Y'all, you know, and, and you understand I'm being kind of funny, but obviously I do think we're right. If I didn't think we were right, I would change. Okay. But others might have a different opinion on that. So, but all groups try. So we also have here to the left. Oh, let's do the right first. Lordship salvation. Okay. Now everybody claims to believe in repentance across the board. Even Calvinists claim to believe in repentance, all right? You know, even trendies claim to believe in repentance. But over to the right, we have what we call lordship salvation. Now, when it comes to lordship salvation, um, we see that, uh, here's one definition. I got this from a John MacArthur uh, blog that he did on lordship salvation. He is for lordship salvation. We all know he's a, a heretic and a reprobate because he's a Calvinist, and so we hate his guts, right? Now, I, I don't know much about John MacArthur, but I don't like him, okay? But anyway, uh, I'm being funny. And, hey, and we got a verse, like Luke 24, 46 says, And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, we claim we're following this. So does John MacArthur. He claims he's following it, yet he preaches uh, lordship salvation. And so, lordship salvation, this is what he wrote, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed was a call to discipleship. Now, I believe discipleship and salvation are two different things. John MacArthur does not I'm not going to preach about that. He says, a call to follow him in submissive obedience, not just a plea to make a decision or pray a prayer, Jesus' message liberated people from the bondage of their sin, while it confronted and condemned their hypocrisy. It was an offer of eternal life and forgiveness for repentant sinners, but at the same time, it was a rebuke to outwardly religious people whose lives were devoid of true righteousness. It put sinners on notice that they must turn from sin and embrace God's righteousness. Now, I want to preach on Lordship Salvation right now, but I don't have time. But obviously... This right here, he has gone into a category, and I'm not drawing my lines yet, where I would call Lordship Salvation people unsaved. Okay, I don't believe Lordship Salvation people are saved. I think this is clearly a work salvation. There's no doubt about it. You know, here's a great passage for Lordshippers, Matthew 7:21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, what's funny, guys like John MacArthur, literally in his book, he uses this passage to prove that, you know what, you've got to do, what, the way he, he takes this passage, you've got to do even better than this. And it's like, no, the point Jesus was trying to get across is that y'all sin and y'all come short of the glory of God. That's the point that Jesus was trying to make. 
He's got a group of people that think they're so righteous, but he's trying to show them, no, you're not righteous. No, there is none righteous. No, not one. The Apostle Paul put it the best. And so he's trying to show them that. John MacArthur reads it and says, let's try to do what they were trying to do. Just do it even better than them. Remember, Jesus said, accept your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And you would, if you're trying to earn it through works, you got to do even better than them. But Jesus, he would call them out, not because they just weren't doing good enough, but because they needed to trust in him. And folks, if this isn't a work salvation, I just don't know what a work salvation is. There's no doubt it's a work salvation. I do believe that full-blown lordshippers are on their way to hell. Okay? Now, to the left, we have antinomianism. Okay? Now, a lot of you probably don't know what antinomianism is. If you want to know what antinomianism is, watch some, ver- watch some videos about me uh, by some uh, my favorite Calvinist that's out there. You know, good old Jeff Dollar. I, I'll, I'll call him out tonight. And, uh, you, know, you know, Jeff Dollar, he's made several videos. He calls us antinomians. Okay. Now, basically, what an antinomian is, a, uh, here's a definition I got online. It means relating to the view that Christians are released by grace from the obligation of observing the moral law. Aren't we the ones that get in trouble for preaching about the moral law and acting like it's still in effect? I mean, even Jeff Dollar gets offended at how he preached Leviticus 20.13. Okay? You know, we like the moral law. We throw people out of church for you know, violating certain of those moral laws and things. Now, obviously, we don't teach we're saved by those things. But antinomianism, those people do. They teach grace. They're the kind that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Because we're saved by grace without the works of the law, they act we're supposed to live by grace, meaning, you know, just don't even worry about none of that stuff. It's just all grace, grace, grace. And really, the more rotten you are, just the greater it makes the grace of God look because you're still saved. That's what they teach. Folks, that's weird. That's messed up. That's demented, perverted grace. We do not teach that. We do not believe that at all. It goes on to say, you know, um, uh, it says, you know, so one who holds that under the gospel dispensation of grace, the moral law is of no use or obligation because faith alone is necessary to salvation. And I would say that the moral law is of no use or obligation in receiving the free gift of salvation. But you better believe the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. The denying ungodliness and worldly lust. You should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. We are, we are supposed to preach against sin. And so another thing, a definition is one who rejects a socially established morality. People think we're horrible. And we get all the attention for teaching that our government should execute certain people and enforce certain laws. Oh, you're so terrible because of that. And then we have other people calling us antinomianism. And it's like, I don't know how we can be guilty of both of these things. Okay? I, you know, and I, I know what they're doing. And I'll talk about that at the end. Okay? They're doing the same thing to us that we do to other people sometimes. And it's wrong, it's wrong when everybody does it. So, uh, in some Christian belief systems, an antinomian, in, I can't even say that word, is one who takes the principle of salvation by faith and divine grace to the point of asserting that the saved are not bound to follow the moral law, 
contained in the Ten Commandments. So again, it's just somebody who, because salvation is not about the works of the law, they don't ever want us talking about the works of the law. No, we're going to talk about the works of the law. Okay? And that is, that is weird, twisted doctrine. And here's a passage for antinomianism, antinomianists. Romans 6.1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And I say amen. I don't, I don't know how a person can be saved and just disregard the law of God. What's wrong with you that you would do that? What's wrong with the church that would teach that? You know, what's wrong with these churches too that just some of the sins that are being promoted in church, some of the sins that are being practiced in the services today. How, how can you get to that point? I, I don't understand. But my definition of an antinomian is someone who turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. Someone who teaches salvation by grace, but then teaches Christians to take advantage of the grace of God. We would definitely reject this. And another passage for them John 3.18, we looked at this this morning. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And let me tell you, some people are going to struggle in the flesh, but for someone to teach that sin is okay and encourage something, someone in it, there's something very wrong with that person. Okay? The gospel, it shines a light on our sin. And for someone to actively teach people it's okay to sin, you know what? I don't think those people are saved. I would look at those people and say, you know what? I don't think you're brothers. And you know what? I don't think these people are our brothers. I don't think those people are our brothers either. That, that's, and I, I would not fellowship with people like that. And so, uh, Romans 6.20, For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things, whereof ye are now ashamed? Where did that shame come from? You know, the Holy Spirit made him ashamed of those things. And folks, again, saved people, they commit a lot of sins. But you know what? We usually have enough decency to be embarrassed by it and blush about it, but not the world. It says, for the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, we reject antinomianism. We do not fit in that category at all. But you know what? There is a group that I would like to put in between the antinomian crowd. Oh, here's my black marker. Now, don't get offended when you see uh, this, this group that I'm going to put there. But that is, we're going to put easy believism. Okay? Now, don't get offended. These people are still going to be in the saved range. Okay? All right. So, all right. Easy believism. And I say, Pastor Tommy, don't you consider yourself easy believers? Um, of course I do. I preached a message on that not too long ago. And one of the things that I mentioned in that is that, you know, there are things associated with easy believism that we reject. Typically, the people over here 
that you see attacking easy believism are people I don't have anything to do with, and many of the things that they attack are things that we absolutely do believe in. However, there are people in this category that sometimes do some, have some pretty weird teaching and do some pretty weird stuff that we reject. And so a definition of easy believism uh, is, is a, um, right here it says it's a somewhat derogatory term used by opponents of the view that one needs only to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. And we agree with that. From this they conclude that those who hold the sola fide, faith alone, teach that no corresponding need exists for a committed life of Christian discipleship as proof of salvation. However, that is not what sola fide means. True faith in Christ will always lead to a changed life. And another common usage of that term, term easy believism, is in regards to those who believe they're saved because they pray to prayer with no real conviction of sin and no real faith in Christ. Praying a prayer is easy, thus the term easy believism. Now, I, in that message I preached, I went over this, showed all the problems that there's a ton. Reading this makes me want to preach on easy believism. Okay? But here's the thing. With easy believism and with people who would put themselves in that category, there are things associated with it that we do not accept. There are, there are some goofballs out there that would identify with this crowd. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, I'm going to side with these people over the lordship crowd. Okay? Uh, especially when there's a theological debate going on. But I don't want to just box myself into this category. First off, that's not even a Bible term. Okay? But repentance is. This is where I want to be. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Because remember, this is a man-made label. And if men make labels, they can make up their own definitions. Okay? And since I'm the one drawing lines tonight, I will tell you all what's included in the easy, believe, easy believism category. So keep, keep all that in mind. Okay? Now, let's go a little bit to the right of the true repentance. Okay? Now, over here to the right, we've got another group that's in between us, the Bible believers here, and the Lordship Salvation crowd, and that is the repent of sins crowd. Now, I've seen a lot of people thrown in hell for saying repent of sins. Okay? A lot of people get thrown in hell for saying that. Okay? But with, within this crowd that claims that one must repent of their sins for salvation, there's actually a few categories that we could put them in because they all say the same thing, but they don't mean the same thing. See, sometimes what's happening, these people are stealing terminology from these people over here. And it's making them look bad, theologically speaking. We ought to watch out for where we're getting our terminology from. And there's a lot of different things that people can mean. I, you know, and and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself and start going into a lot of these things. But uh, some people, because uh, you know, you know, this is a fact, okay? To repent of sins or turn from sins, that definitely means to quit sinning, doesn't it? That's what that that's what that means, okay? But do most of the people who say that believe that? They really don't, okay? And I I know because I've talked to many of them without foaming at the mouth first, without telling them they're unsaved first, and yeah, they're like, well, no, I don't think a person has to quit. I I think you can come right now as you are, and just you know 
call on the Lord and he'll save you. I, I believe that. And so you know, he asked him, well, then, you know, why do you say that? And a lot of people, because, you know, they're Baptists and we don't change nothing, you know, they don't want to change the terminology. So what do they do? They try to redefine it. And they'll say something along the lines, well, you know, you must acknowledge and understand the fact that you're a sinner. Because there are people out there who, you know, think about most of the people when we knock on their door who are religious and you ask them, how do you know if you're going to go to heaven? Or what do you have to do to go to heaven? They say, well, you know, be a good person. And yet they think they're going to heaven. Now, one of the things that we do when that happens is we show them how they're a sinner and they come short of the glory of God. Now, if a person goes from thinking that they're good enough to go to heaven to realizing, wait a minute, my sins are worse than I thought. I'm on my way to hell. You could say that they have changed their mind about their sin. Haven't haven't you? Or couldn't you say that? That there was a repentance of sins in the sense that I've changed my mind about what sin is and about how bad I am. And those people, you know, when they come to that realization, they and they put their trust, faith and trust in Christ, those people would definitely be saved. But, you know, at the same time, too, I wouldn't encourage them to say I repented of my sins. But they did change their mind about their sins and about their sinful condition. And so, again, you know, we don't put that in our materials. We don't say that. I don't think people should say that. I, I think it's confusing. But just because those words come out of someone's mouth does not mean they're not saved and teaching a work salvation. So let's not, let's not act like they are when that happens. And, uh, but you know, well, if they're, if they're really right, then they'll change their mind when I tell them, you know what, when somebody comes up to me foaming at the mouth and, you know, acting like a maniac and tell me I'm unsaved, I don't want to listen to anything that they say. And, I, you know, I'm probably going to get in the flesh, too, and get stubborn, and I'm going to probably keep saying stuff different. And I you say, you shouldn't be that way. We're all like that. And, and it's just a part of uh, who we are. But some mean you must just acknowledge and understand the fact you're a sinner. And a lot of times the emphasis on that fact is because they're trying to show they're not like the antinomians. But you know what? Even Paul got accused of basically being an antinomian. In fact, if you turn over to Romans chapter 3, I'm not going to take a lot of time to expound on this passage, but in verse 7, he says, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Now, it might seem like a confusing verse. We took the time to go through the whole passage. Basically, what many people believe about this too, is there was a te- some people were actually teaching that the more you sin, the more it reveals the grace of God. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, if my, and so the more of a sinner you are, just the better it makes God look. And Paul's like, well, if that's the case, if my lie abounds to his glory, then why am I being judged as a sinner? You know, if, if we're making God look better the more we sin, then how come God punishes us so much when we sin? So that doesn't make sense. That's just a stupid saying. But then notice what he says. And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So guess what? The Apostle Paul, because he taught a free salvation without works, people said, you're just teaching people to just go ahead and sin that good may come. 
And you know what? He said that's a slanderous report. That's a lie. And people say that about us all the time. Stinking lie. And you know what? Oh, well. Okay? They said it about Paul. They're going to say about us. Jeff Dollar's going to keep calling us that. And you know what? If he does, I, you know, I'll just call him, I'll call him a Calvinist. That's even worse. All right? You know, I, I, that's even worse. And he embraces that term. So, you know, you just, the enemy's always going to call us names. Get over it. Okay? Get over it. So another, another thing some people mean when they say repent of sins, they mean that if you truly get saved, you will repent of your sins. Meaning there will be some kind of change. Okay, now, I think that's another thing we shouldn't say. But at the same time, too, if someone gets saved, I mean, aren't they a new creature in Christ? That's a change. Uh, but we all know they mean, well, there'll be some kind of outward visible change. You know, we'll see you repent of some sins, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? It's a reasonable expectation to expect when someone gets saved and the Holy Spirit comes in for them to have some kind of change in their life. It's a reasonable expectation. And if it wasn't, then how come we throw people out of church if they commit terrible sins? Why, why, why do we expect them to be different than the world? Because they claim to have the Holy Spirit inside them. So, you know, we all kind of agree with this to a certain extent, and there's room for us to talk and have discussion on this. But at the, at the same time, too, we do got to be careful about saying that and just declaring it as a fact that's always going to be for every single person, and it's always going to be visible in a timeline that we expect. We've got to watch out for that. We're just going to confuse people with that. But some people are going to say it, and you know what? Oh, oh well. Oh, well. Some people just mean you must truly be sorry for your sin. And, but then, and willing to turn from sin. Now, again, okay, if you're say, now if you're saying I have to be willing to turn from sin, then that means, it doesn't that kind of mean I'm coming to the Lord with an attitude, Lord, if you save me, I'll quit all this? I mean, isn't that kind of a you plus the blood of Christ? Now, here's the thing about that. Some people might get confused on this because many people, when they hear the truth of the gospel, when they realize their sinful condition, they want to live for the Lord and they want to be better. Do you know that's really normal? So somebody might think, they might remember, when I got saved, I did. I was sick of that life that I was living. I was sick of all that sin and I wanted to give my life to the Lord. I wanted Him to be Lord of my life. And I did. And I came to Him as a dirty, rotten sinner and He saved me and, and I, I tried everything I could and I did. When I got saved, you know, I did. I, I fully surrendered to the Lord too. And some people might do that at the same time. They might believe on Christ and fully surrender the same day to be a follower of Him. And so they might get a little confused on this stuff. But at the end of the day too, if, if you come to Christ saying, I'm trusting in your blood and me that I'm ready to endure to the end, well... We've added the salvation at that point. But at the same time, I could see where someone who's not real sound doctrinally could get a little confused there. So there, there's an area there where it gets, it gets a little hard to tell, doesn't it? Okay? And it's where it's kind of hard to draw the line. We don't always know where someone's at. And so some people, though, they mean you must truly be sorry for your sin you got to have deep Holy Ghost conviction. If you're not crying, you're probably not really getting it. 
You know, they, they'll tell you, that, and, and then they'll go as far as saying that, you know, you've got to turn from your sin, and if you don't succeed in turning from your sins, you probably didn't really get it. That's what they'll tell you. Now, listen, when you get to that point, I think you're, I think you're all the way in the Lordship Salvation territory. I think, you, I think you've just, I think you've crossed the line. Okay? So, so let me kind of do it this way, all right? So, with easy believism, you do have a group in there, okay, you know, like us, all right? So, this here, it's, it kind of represents, this represents, I don't know if you can see this blue line, people that we will fellowship with in the easy believism category, okay? Now, here's the thing, though, you've got to understand you are going to have some people who are in the easy believism category that are kind of one, two, three, repeat after me. Okay? Now, we all know that this is wrong, right? We don't, we don't believe one, two, three, repeat after me, get you saved. Okay? If I go con a bunch of kids into repeating a prayer that they don't understand, nobody thinks they're going to get saved, right? But at the same time, too... Sometimes people are new to soul winning. Some people, they just, you know, they're, they're a little anxious to get out there because they hear about the soul winning stuff. They just don't know what they're doing. Are we just going to throw all these people in hell and say, you're, you're, sending, you're sending so many people to hell. You're giving them a false assurance. Oh, really? So I just con somebody into repeating a prayer that they didn't understand, they didn't mean, but yet they think they're saved? No, I think they were probably just trying to get rid of me, you know, get this guy off my back. I don't, I don't think we're doing that. Okay. Obviously if they didn't really put their faith and trust in what we said, they're not going to think they're saved, but everybody acts like we're just sending so many people to hell by going out and preaching the gospel and just not doing a very good job. Now they haven't went souling with us, have they? But at the same time too, have we had people that come through this church before that are kind of like that? But you know how and you know, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you in here, Maybe the first time you went out, you were kind of like that too. You know, you were just a little too anxious to get someone saved. And, you know, you knew that's what Christians are supposed to do, but you weren't very good at it yet. And maybe you were a little sloppy and led somebody in a prayer before they were ready. Well, aren't you glad you didn't get thrown in hell when, when somebody noticed that? And so, you know, we're not going to, you know, we don't agree with this, but we're not going to necessarily, you know, throw all those people in hell. Now, on the, on the repent of sins. Okay, you know, you have people who just mean, you know, change your mind. Okay, just, you know, change your mind about sin. All right, so I'm just going to put change mind there. I'm going to fellowship with those people. There's people over here that I would. I would fellowship with them that they are in the repent of sins category. But at the, then, too, while you've got ones that mean, you, well, you just got to change your mind, you also have those that I could say go over to the right here a little bit that means, well, if you are saved, I know you guys probably can't see this. My writing's terrible. If you're saved, you will repent of sins. I wish people wouldn't say that. I do. I think it confuses people. I think it gets people looking at themselves rather than Jesus Christ. And I, I think that's bad.
But at the same time, too, we all kind of think that way to a certain extent. I'm not throwing all those people in hell. Okay, because if they're still preaching salvation by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're telling somebody, right now you can get saved. Right now. And think about it, a lot of repenting of your sins people, they'll have an altar call after the service and say, come right now and get saved. Well, how can you repent of your sins? Don't I need some time to repent of sins first? I mean, that's what we're accusing them of teaching, that a person has to quit sinning first. Shouldn't we give them a week to see how they do? Isn't that, shouldn't they at least do that if that's what they really believe? But folks, that's not what they really believe. That's not what most of them really believe. They've made a mistake of stealing terminology from the lordship crowd, but that's not what they, that's not what they really think. Some of them have maybe unrealistic expectations or not even unrealistic expectations because it's not wrong to think people are going to change, but you know, they're just, they have too specific of expectations where they think that this change is going to happen in a specific amount of time. I've heard people get up and say before, you know, you know, after a person gets saved, you know, I give them two years. And if they're not in church, they never got saved. What if it's two years and one month? You know, draw the line on that one. You know, what a dumb thing to say. You know, that, but, you know, it was at a camp meeting. So, you know, people, people say weird things. But let me say this. You do have people in the repent of sins camp who say that, you know, you must be truly sorry, you know, and willing to turn. You know, you have to be that way. You know what? When they start saying that, truly sorry. Okay, you know what? I kind of put them in the lordship crowd. And here's the thing, too. While they're in the lordship crowd, I would still put them in the repent of sins crowd, too. See, here's the thing. There are people in the repent of sins category that I would also... There's like overlap. That they fit in the unsaved category. You understand that? But here's what happens. Sometimes a preacher will call out someone who's in the repent of sins category who has crossed over into Lordship Salvation, and then you've got goofball followers out there that hear that, and now everyone who says repent of sins is unsaved. Baloney. Okay? That's, that's not how it is. That's, you know, that's not reality. You, know, you, do, you have your trendies out there who basically you know, turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Grace into lasciviousness all right these these people are not saved these are not people i would want to fellowship with now they do some of them make it so easy to get saved too that you know what somebody might want to put them in the easy believism category there's people in the easy believism category who have beliefs that cause them to cross over also into antinomian territories there's overlap and that's what everybody has to understand and remember all of these things are man-made okay they, they are all they're all man-made labels and things these are boxes that we try to put people into and and there is there's there's overlap there but what happens is some people are so anxious to just throw people in hell 
break fellowship with people that what they end up doing is they just start hearing anything associated with some of this stuff and losing their mind and wanting to throw everybody in hell. And I just, I don't think that's right. I am willing to fellowship with people that are, that are within a certain range. Okay. And so, you know, my range, okay, this is Liberty Baptist church and repentance and all anywhere where you see this blue, you know what? I like, I'm, I'm for these people. I'm with these people. I will fellowship with people within this blue range that you see there. Once they cross over into red territory, the red represents the flames of hell. That's where they're going. I don't want to have nothing to do with them. Okay? So, so you know, under, and, so, and here's the thing too. There may be people within this range that I would fellowship with that are neutral or even coming, they're, they're coming this way. Okay? I mean, they might be way over here. They might be getting into this territory, but they're, they're, they're coming this way. You know what? I want to help those people. I don't want to run them off. Like, sir, I, I know you've been, you've been, you appreciate my preaching. You asked me to come preach at your church. Uh, you told me you liked my teaching on salvation. You tell me it's helped you a whole lot. But, sir, I went into your, I looked at your track rack. I saw one of your tracks says to repent of sins. You're preaching another gospel. You're a heretic and you're a false prophet. And because you're a false prophet, you're probably a reprobate. I hate you. Okay. I'm not going to do that. Okay. I, I, you know what? I'm going to try to keep helping. I'm going to try to keep being a blessing. And hopefully one of these days they'll be just like us. And we'll finally have our denomination that everybody's accusing me of trying to start. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And so, we, we, you know, there, but here's, there, there might be other people that are closer to us. You know, you might have some people over, way, they're way over here. They're in the one, two, three, repeat after me category, but they're kind of coming in the right direction. But you got other people, you know, they don't do the one, two, three, repeat after me, but they are. They're full easy believism. They're a lot more like us, but they're also trying to pull us away from where we're supposed to be in this direction. You know what? I might not want to necessarily, I might like this church over here better than this one. Because this one too they're, st- they're pushing it. Some of the stuff they're saying is pretty confusing. I think they're heading over to this territory. And I, I don't know where they're going. I'm going to see what's going to happen there. Same thing over here, too. There might be people that are over here that are saying, you know, well, if you're saved. And they might be coming this way. They might be closer to us than we think. And there might be somebody that's over here. Well, that's just a change of mind. But they are. They're moving the other direction. You know, they're starting to have the Calvinists come in. And they're fellowshipping with them. Well, that's kind of weird. I mean, oh, great, your doctrinal statement's right on the money. This is how you preach it, but you're, you know, you're having John MacArthur come preach for you? Mm. I think you're moving away from us. And so, you know, and, here, and, and again, we're marking them that are causing division. So again, if, if this, this person here might be farther away from us, but they're also not causing any division amongst us. This person's closer to us, but if they're causing division, trying to pull us away from the truth, I might have to mark them before I mark that person. Again, it, 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 it depends on every situation. And the, uh, so um, there is no rule that says our church has to fellowship with everyone. And you know what? There may be people that are a lot. You know, um, so while there are people within that range that I would fellowship with, there may be some that I just don't want to fellowship with. 
Or they might not want to fellowship with us. There might be people over here in this repent of sins category that are saved that don't want to fellowship with us. And there might be people over here. They don't want to fellowship with us. Now, here's what I don't get to do. When somebody over here or over here does not like me, I don't get to try to push them into red territory. And isn't that what we all want to do? Because I do. I teach you all here, hey, people can be mixed up on terminology and still be saved. People can be a little different than us on what's going to happen after someone gets saved and they're still going to be saved. And, but then, whenever I get out of sorts with them and I get mad at them, what the carnal thing to do is, is for me to now try to convince you they're just not saved. And then we're trying to push them. And that's why Jeff Dollar has to put the antinomian label on us. Why? He's, trying, he's, he's pushing us over. We are not this, folks. We are not that by any definition. It's the same thing the trendies do when they try to accuse us of being legalists. Okay? We are not legalists. We do not fit any, def- any real definition. of. Le- we don't even fit the fake definition of legalism. But yet, they want to continue using that word. Why? Because everybody knows it's bad, and I don't like Pastor Tommy. He looks old Paz. He's still wearing a suit and tie. He makes fun of our skinny jeans. He makes fun of our music. You know, he criticizes us for not using the King James Bible. So, you know what? Even though there's areas in here where we can have some philosophical differences and things, I'm pushing him into the red. I'm pushing him into the legalist category. You know what? You're doing that because you just lost the argument. You're doing it because you have no argument. So, so some tra- and, you know, and another reason too, and so here's the thing, and I'm running out of time here, but I believe, and, and I, don't take this as a chest-thumping moment for our church, okay? I believe our church is strong enough doctrinally I believe our people are strong enough doctrinally. I believe we are united enough as a church that we can fellowship with this entire blue area and it's not going to hurt our church. I don't think it's going to cause division in our church if you all, you know, listen to somebody preach something a little repent of sinsy. I I think we've taught it so good that you'll see through it. I don't think it's going to cause division. And so I'm not, I'm not real worried about it. Now, there might be a church that's, you know, that's like us, but maybe they're battling somebody over here. Maybe, they're, maybe they do have some division on this repent of sins thing here, even amongst saved repent of sins crowd. Now, what they don't need to do is try pushing them over here when they're not there, but they might need to draw some lines and say, you know what? We can't fellowship with this preacher I got half my church listening to him and he's pulling him over in this wrong direction. And so, you know what? I don't want to act like I'm okay with that. You know, I I just, I don't want that in our church. And you know what? There's people like that. They might be that way with us. Okay. I'm very vocal online about everything that we believe. And there might be preachers that are, you know, afraid of endorsing me because of the fact that they don't want to get their people, you know, pulled in another direction and you know and i'm not trying to cause division in other people's churches so if a preacher is like you know i don't want to fellowship with pastor tommy you know oh well i don't get to take away his salvation okay and let me just say this if they're saved and right on the gospel i'm glad okay 
And if I say, I wish I could tell you that they're not saved, I wish they're wrong in the gospel so I could throw them in hell, I'm being funny, okay? I need to clarify that in case someone makes a clip, you know? And then somebody just anxious to nail me, you know, takes it real serious, okay? I wish everybody was right on the gospel. I wish everybody had repentance right, you know? And even people who don't like me. But no, it's our carnal nature that anybody that's against us, we want to put them in the red. We want to put them in hell. But I don't literally want to do that. It would just help in making me look good. So some churches have people who are not well grounded. They're very weak in the faith. And it's a pastor's job to watch over the flock and guide and direct the people in their church. And so uh, I believe our church can handle somebody to come in and maybe preach a sermon and it turns out that guy's a little different than us. Uh, things. You know, my biggest worry that I have is he's going to say something that's a little different and then one of y'all are going to argue with him after church and take him to the woodshed and make him look bad. Okay? And I, I hope you wouldn't do that. I hope you'd be gracious uh, with him. You know, but that, that's my biggest worry. And so as long as they're not trying to cause trouble, Romans 14.1, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So if somebody is a little farther to the right or the left, if they're not trying to fight with us, then you know what? I think we can receive them and we can try to help them. It's when they start causing division. It's when they start causing problems. That's when we need to do something. And sometimes it's frustrating, but you know what? We are allowed to be patient with people who aren't learning as fast as they should. Do you know that? I get it. Everybody should listen to one of my messages on repentance and be solid. If they're saved, he that is of God, hears God's word. But you know, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for as there is among you envying, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? Paul was frustrated with these people because they weren't learning like they were supposed to. You ought to be ready for the meat, but they weren't. But you know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't cast them out. He rebuked them, but he kept working with them. Why? Because he loved them, because he cared about them. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people in the IFB world. They're not everything I think they should be because they're not like us. But at the same time, I love them. I care about them. And I'm not ready to cast them out. And I don't think we have to. And sometimes we might be wasting our time with people. But you know what? I don't think we're wrong for giving people a chance. Paul said in Galatians 4.11, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Sometimes we might labor in vain with people. But you know what? That's our choice to make. I've had pastors get all over me. These people are going to stab you in the back. Okay, if they stab me in the back, I'll walk it off. Not your problem. I mean, literally get mad at me because I'm setting myself up to get stabbed in the back. You know what? I've got the Lord who's a pretty good healer. I'll get over it. In the meantime, you're not getting stabbed in the back. So, mind your own business. Stay, stay out of it. So, again, we need to understand some churches or pastors may feel that some of the things we disagree with them on, it would cause problems or division you know, that's not an opportunity for us to accuse them of being weak, scared, lame. That's not, um, that's not what I'm trying to do when I'm saying we're strong enough, we can handle that. But, you know, we can be gracious. We can respect their independence and authority and autonomy of their church and say, you know what, fine. I guess we don't get to come to your conference. I guess we don't get to come to your meeting. 
Oh, oh well, they're allowed to do that. But last verse, Mark 9, 38, and John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. But we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. You know what? If people are following the Lord, great. If they're not, if, if they're not working against us, then you know what? God bless them. So it's one thing if they're trying to destroy our church. Okay, yeah, that other guy, he's different than us, but he's not attacking us. You know, he's, he's not throwing stones at us. He's not trying to infiltrate our church and trying to turn you people against me. So, you know, but, but I saw him at his church. He was preaching something a little different than you. Yeah, it's because he was at his church preaching to his people. So he's allowed to do that. And just like he wasn't attacking me, I'm not attacking him when I'm preaching something a little different in our church. Get over it, people. It's amazing how many church members they do. They want a world of just identical clones. And you know why I think that is? I think it's because they are not confident about the truth. And they don't know how to discern right from wrong themselves. And so they just want a world where everybody thinks the exact same as them so they can feel confident that they're doing the right thing. They want to follow. They want to have a multitude they can follow. That's just kind of how they are, and it's. I think it's really pathetic. So, one last thing we need to realize is that inside of these lines, inside this blue area, are some really good areas. And I don't have time to even get in this where we can study, where we can even disagree a little bit. There, I mean, when it comes to what's going to happen after somebody gets saved, you know that's a great discussion. I wish as Baptists we could talk about that. What, it, what, it, what all does change? I wish the Baptists would have a conversation about what is the new creature. I think if they did a little bit of Bible study on that, it would be pretty enlightening. I wish we could actually have a conversation about that. I think it would be very profitable. But here's what happens. We have a disagreement in terminology. We push them over there and unsaved her. You think they're going to listen to us after that? Absolutely, absolutely not. And so... We don't need to get bent out of shape and make everybody unsaved that disagrees with us. All these things we've talked about tonight, these two, this is in regards to our position as a church. Okay? But understand, you can take these principles and apply them in your life. You can be accepting of other people that are a little different when you, with, than you on things, with your family, with your church family. And you know what? Some of you in here, you might say, I'll listen to preachers inside here, but I'm not listening to anyone over here. Okay. Don't go watch any of these people's YouTube sermons or anything like that. You know, if one of them comes here and, pre and preaches, you know, you should be supportive and for unification, you should still come anyway and deal with it. But you know what? You don't have to ask them to sign your Bible. You don't have to get your picture taken with them. You know, you don't have to push like on the YouTube video, uh, you know, you, you you don't have to do that. You know, you, you don't, but you know what? Have a little bit of grace. Okay? And, you know, there's some people, uh, you know, they just, they don't show up. If anything is to not their liking at church. That's not, that's not right either. We shouldn't be that way. But, folks, we don't want to be so isolated that we become inbred. We don't want to do it. We don't want to become so inclusive that we become like a Tower of Babel. 
Okay? But we need a little common sense. And I believe with a little common sense, wisdom, leading of the Holy Spirit, I think we'll be just fine. Folks, I've ran my mouth so much about repentance in this church. You all know. truth. And if I haven't proved to you all yet, I'm not going to let preachers push me around. Okay? I'm the pushy one. That's why probably a lot of preachers probably don't want to fellowship with me and probably shouldn't fellowship with me because I will pull them my way. It's just kind of in my nature. Not everybody's like that, but, but I am. Okay, and so, uh, but, but they're, they're not going to do that with me. Uh, you know, my friend, Pastor Bill Reeves, I went and had dinner with him this week. Pastor, we ain't changing. You know, one of the things, that, one of the, you know, we disagree on some stuff. On, on, you know, on repentance, we were talking about that. We, we agree with each other. Okay, now there might be a slight variation somewhere. I don't know. As far as I know, we agree. But, you know, one of the things he said to me is like, you know, if I don't like something you're doing, he's like, what could I even do about it? I said, nothing. <laughs> he's like, exactly. <laughs> and you know, I think that's one of the reasons he likes me. I think it's one of the reasons I like it. I like preachers that, you know, have a backbone. And, and you know, and I'm not, I'm not really interested in being everybody's pope. I'm really not. And I don't, I don't believe God's called me to be a pope. But as long as I am allowed to preach exactly what I believe from the pulpit, when it comes to fellowship, things like that, you know what? If, if people are for us and want to fellowship with us, we'll fellowship with them. As long as they remain in our blue lines. And we'll save this and we'll check. Right. <laughs> no, nobody's going to want to save that and copy that. That probably doesn't make sense to anybody. But it makes sense to me. Hopefully it made sense to you. And I, I'll hope that <laughs> I hope that was up. That's, that's about as good as it's going to get for me, folks. I, 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 we don't have our, the trendy TVs up here. Because I was thought it'd be a lot easier if I did something on the computer, but then I didn't have a way to put it on there, so I went full Ruckmanite, got the whiteboard, and uh, ho- but hopefully that makes sense to everyone. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I pray this message was a help, uh, encouragement to everyone. I pray you'll help us, Lord, to uh, you know, be a church that is supportive and of our brothers that are uh, all over the place. Lord, I'm so thankful for the many good preachers that I've been able to know and uh, wonderful churches that are out there doing great things for you. I pray you'll help us to um, you know, continue being able to fellowship, being a help and encouragement to them as they are to us. And I pray you'll help us to they'll always remain loyal to you and keep you as the head of this church. In your name we pray. Amen.